This is a recording of the sermon that I delivered on February 2nd, 2014 at Blue Point Bible Church. I apologize that this is not the live sermon since I forgot to push the record button. So please join me in prayer as we go into my sermon this morning. Heavenly Father, I give you all the glory, all the praise, and all the honor for the words that are about to come out of my mouth, Lord, for they are your revealed divine truth, Lord. I praise you that we might be able to understand your truth by the Spirit of God. And I plead that you lead my sermon by your spirit, your words, the insights you have given me, Lord God. Ultimately, all for your glory. In the glorious and mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. When I step into the pulpit, I consider it to be a sacred moment. That is why it is necessary for the preacher to pray, ask God for the Spirit of God. That way he might preach before a congregation. Amen. Today I will seek to glorify God by detailing the life and message of a man who is devoted to the glory of God alone. Pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer's birthday is this week, February 4th, 1906 to be exact. We are just full of birthdays this week here at Blue Point Bible Church. Again, happy birthday to our member, Mrs. Trisha Glenn. Sure enough, I received my admonishment from Pastor Bonhoeffer's insights that the text of the sermon and its interpretation, rightly divided, is what I offer you all. And it is on this basis that it is your responsibility to search the scriptures to see if these things indeed are so. As Pastor Bonhoeffer would have it said, the preacher should therefore educate his congregation to follow the sermon with an open Bible. Also, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, like many before me, have blazed these trails of not only preaching, but defending the infallibility of Scripture, which is a fancy way of saying knowing it's true with certainty. From which we establish the motto, let Scripture be true and every man a liar. So in a time when we clearly see the attack on the inspiration of the Scripture coming from many angles, as we've seen at our conference last week, Brother Joe Daniels so eloquently put it, an attack on the deity of Christ. We must learn to know the scriptures again as the reformers and the church fathers knew them. We must not grudge the time and work it takes. We must know the scriptures first and foremost for the sake of our salvation. Yes, when the logic of many of the false teachings are followed through, we see that the teaching is indeed in error. And the biggest danger is the rise of a false gospel. The very thing the Apostle Paul warned of the church about in Galatia, in Galatians chapter 3. As I explained to someone this week, I must uphold the inspiration of Scripture to further my efforts of spreading the gospel. Because if I preach a gospel without upholding and studying the Scripture, in the end, all that I know about God is false. We must keep in line with what the scripture teaches us about the Messiah, about the gospel hope, the hope of Israel. Otherwise, this whole thing is fabricated. Something I will er again and again reiterate before you all is that the Apostle Paul made it clear in his defense of the gospel that he preached nothing other than the hope of Israel, nothing other than what the law and the prophets proclaimed. Bonhoeffer made the point that every evangelical pastor is answerable to the scripture. He must be able to establish scriptural evidence for his thinking. Sadly, due to the failure of many Christians in congregations to holding their pastors accountable, 
with questions, with scripture, we have arrived at the rise of a presuppositional gospel message. People are more inclined to bring their own thoughts of who Jesus is, what the message they believe he proclaimed was and is, what the Bible is about, rather than diligently doing the research to find out if these things are so. Truly understanding these things in their proper context. Even going back to Pastor Bonhoeffer's day, he noted that there are many conversions to Hitler that are exactly analogous to some conversions to Christ. This phenomenon can occur in the preaching of a Christian evangelist. In the case of such conversions, a falling away inevitably follows. All of us here know somebody that was so enthusiastic about the message that they had heard about how Jesus died on the cross for their sins, a very personalized gospel message to only turn around a couple months later and be sinning worse than they were before the moment of salvation, before their moment of conversion. Because they were caught up in a message that is not good news, that is not true and reasonable, but instead is something they came to grasp according to their own fancy, according to their own desires. As harsh as it sounds, I totally agree with Pastor Bonhoeffer's statement that the one who will not learn the Bible for himself is not an evangelical Christian. We must be sure what we're learning, the gospel that we're learning, is rooted in truth. Are we searching the scriptures? That being said, I opened up my congregation yesterday for questions regarding to anything that we learned at the Power of Preterism Conference. If there were questions or answers, and some questions were answered, indeed, about Bonhoeffer's Day, where how is it that so many theologians that have lived, that we look up to, that have lived this gospel message fell into error regarding futurism. What do we do with that, and how do we answer that? And as I explained to the congregation yesterday, that there's been error throughout the history of the church. One of the things we've been doing here on Monday nights, going through our, our knowledge nights, is going through Kurt Simmons, a road back to preter- the road back to preterism, learning about the history of the church and seeing the issues and how issues arise even in the early second century in the church regarding false teaching. And where they kind of went off target. They did not understand the Jewish context of the scriptures. As many theologians are realizing in our day that we must understand the scriptures in their Jewish context. We must understand what these first century Jewish people were waiting for and hoping for and looking for before we try to establish a message for ourselves today. Sadly, we didn't see this all that well in the the centuries of the church. We see a lot of out of context, a lot of liberation theology a lot of personal application. So I continue to encourage the congregation to ask questions and to grow in the grace and knowledge of God according to the scriptures, not the traditions of men. After I answered questions, I continued with the sermon. In relation to the sermon this morning, I wanted to bring up a moment that I know many of us have experienced. After we present to them the truth regarding the fulfilled work of Christ, or what is scripturally called the hope of Israel, we explain to them covenant eschatology. The common question we receive is, what about me? How does this affect me? What about my life? What does God have to say to me? How are we supposed to live in light of all that happened in AD 70? Please take out your bulletin this morning and write, gospel equals the hope of Israel. We must understand the fulfilled hope of Israel and then understand the application to us. 
So what, how does that affect me? And I believe that to be a very valid question. Because in Scripture we find that we are called to judge the tree by the fruit it bears. Well, we must wonder, what is the fruit that we're called to bear as Christians in the 21st century? We must wonder, how am I called to live in response to all that God accomplished through Jesus Christ? Heeding the inspired words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, where he says, Therefore I exhort, exhort you, be imitators of me. Or in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he said, Be imitators of me, just as I am of Christ. Besides understanding the Apostle Paul's life through his writings, we can therefore turn to Christ's teachings, since the Apostle Paul says that he is a follower of Jesus Christ. We can therefore learn Christ's words. And herein Christ says, Therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And when he, the rain fell and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for they had been founded upon the rock. And that is Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 25. In that teaching that Jesus gives in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, to the crowds upon the mountaintop, to what many refer to as the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus illustrates the very essence of what it means to be a Christian. The words which I just accounted are the command by which Jesus ends that message. So I ask all of us to consider here this morning, whose words are we, are you, listening to and acting on? As I examine and understand the reality of a life in Christ, I continually seek out those who have lived these lives, who have lived this life, this Christian life, Christ-centered life before me. Men and women who knew, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer proclaimed, every moment of our life is related to God. In thinking and wondering myself, I come with the question, so what does God demand? The prophet Micah accounts, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Consider the man who in his last moments of his life held a little service for those imprisoned with him and prayed with them. As two men in civilian clothing came in and said, Pastor Bonhoeffer, get ready and come with us. Get ready to come with us. Those words, come with us, for those in Dietrich's time in that prison cell had only come to mean one thing, the scaffold. They bade him goodbye, and his last words were this. This is the end. For me, the beginning of life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a man of knew, who knew what it meant to walk humbly with his God. A man who knew that every moment of my life is in direct relation to God. What would God have me do right now? And he knew. As I follow Christ... This is the beginning of life. This is a man who lived in light of the promise that Jesus Christ came to give life and life to the full. That is the byproduct of the gospel. A full life, fulfilled life, a fulfilled hope, which is a tree of life. It is by my hope, it is my hope that I, I hope to briefly examine this man's life, that the Spirit will illuminate each and every one of you on how you are called to live this life. Are you a wise man or a wise woman who's building their foundation upon the rock, the words of Christ? Bonhoeffer was born into a family of which it was said that they believed the essence of learning lay not in formal education but in the deeply rooted obligation to be guardians of a great historical heritage and intellectual tradition. 
It's safe to say that Dietrich Bonhoeffer had some mighty shoes to fill in his family, a family of theologians, psychiatrists, artists, musicians. It was said that every person in his family had an idealistic streak with a fearless readiness to act on their convictions. The Bonhoeffer home was a family of understanding, fairness, wisdom, and sternness, and a loving yet serious home. With a mother who adored the scriptures in a home that it was said that there was no place for religious, bogus religiosity or false piety. Piety. <laughs> it's no wonder that Dietrich desired to be a theologian at 13 years old and followed through with that commitment, although not admitting this desire till 14 because the church of his day was stated to be poor, feeble, boring, business-like structure, which would bring Dietrich Bonhoeffer under criticism for wanting to be a theologian. In one instance, Bonhoeffer's response was, in that case, I shall have to reform it. Amen. A fraternity brother of Bonhoeffer's once noted that Bonhoeffer was extremely secure and self-confident, not vain, but able to tolerate criticism. He was also a companionable, physical, physically agile, and tough young man who possessed a sharp nose for the essentials and a determination to get to the bottom of things, who was also capable of subtly teasing people and who had a great sense of humor. Wow. I can only hope someone will be able to say that about me in years to come. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is noted as one of the men who truly lived this message. It was said that in keeping with his duty to understand the word of God, he kept a critical and scientific attitude to question all things of faith and theology. I was astounded to read his humble admission that in the midst of his supposed walking as a Christian, in his own words I account, Something happened, something that has changed and transformed my life to the present day. For the first time, I discovered the Bible. I had often preached. I had often seen a great deal of the church spoken and preached about it, but I had not yet become a Christian. Then the Bible freed me from that. Since then, everything has changed. It was a great liberation. It became clear to me that the life of a servant of Jesus Christ must belong to the church. And by step by step, it became clearer to me how far that must go. The revival of the church and the ministry became my supreme concern. It was putting aside his presuppositions, maintaining that critical scientific mind. As 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21 says, to prove all things that Dietrich Bonhoeffer understood the gospel and how it affected his life. While I may not agree entirely with everything Bonhoeffer has said, I would surely agree he is a model of what it means to be a Christian. Did you catch what he said? that he was walking and talking the Christian walk, the supposed Christian walk. But it wasn't until he picked up the words of Scripture that he truly understood what it meant to live a life focused on God, that he truly understood truth. How many people in our day walk and talk as if they believe they're following Jesus Christ yet do not know a simple verse of Scripture or do not know the context and the biblical hope of Israel? Time to get back to the Bible. Bonhoeffer knew there was a cost of discipleship, a cheap grace available to all and sadly taken hold of by many. A costly grace, which is the true reward, and there's few that find it. We will discuss a bit more about that next week. But today I want you to take hold of the fact that Dietrich has admitted that he walked and talked like a Christian, yet it wasn't until he picked up the Bible and actually read that Bible, that he understood what grace was. 
As Jesus said, those who continue in my teachings are my disciples. They shall know the truth, and the truth shall set them free. The scriptures have that liberating power, amen? This liberating power led to the arrest of Dietrich Bonhoeffer for being willing to stand by his convictions of Christian responsibility. Yet if he would have followed the prevailing church of his day, allowing a preconceived, lacking scriptural context gospel to have an effect on him, many would have lost out on the works that this man did by following Jesus Christ, the lives that he saved, those he stuck up for. The truth of living is a martyr for the glorious praise of God. Many people are doing that today. Following a gospel that has no precedent in scripture. Preaching and teaching it, loving it. Fading out in their passion because their gospel has no root. It is not founded upon the rock. How glorious is it to know that our hope, our lives are founded upon the rock. That way when the storms come, we can say, I have truth. I know God. Due to his involvement in any way, shape, or form to assassinate Adolf Hitler, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was arrested on April 5th, 1943. After spending two years in prison, preaching, teaching, and writing the gospel, he was executed by hanging on April 9th, 1945. Remember what he called himself, the beginning of life, when he desired to truly follow God in all that God called him to do. I say all, all of this to you this morning. To ask you to truly consider, are you aware of the liberating power of the gospel that is revealed in scripture? Are you aware of the damaging effect, the damaging power that listening to a message that might sound good and works for you in the time being and has all your presuppositions, all these ideas forced on it by man, yet is not true and not found in scripture, how damaging that can be? taking your own truth, your own goals, your own desires, your own hopes can indeed lead you astray. Sadly, just today, just as in Dietrich's day, we see an overemphasis on personal testimony rather than understanding the accomplished work of Christ as revealed through Scripture. If we are not glorifying God for the truth that he has accomplished, his effect on our lives in spirit and in truth that is shown through this hope, how could we dare say that we're worshiping God for what he did? How could we say that we're following him if we don't know his teachings? As Charles Spurgeon said, many are slumbering worshipers of an unknown God. And he was speaking about the church. Many in their bringing in of preconceived notions, personal desires, and so forth, have arrived at a misunderstanding of what it is that Christ had come to accomplish. A false understanding of what it means to be born again and an incomplete salvation. As if that's not devastating enough. Many completely miss the point of God's kingdom on earth, in the world, not of the world. Many are missing the point of striving for all that they can to understand the gospel message by reading the scriptures and understanding them in their proper context. Therefore, since we know many are missing the scripture, I opt to let the words of Christ on the Sermon on the Mount end my sermon this morning and leave you with the desire to read through Matthew chapters 5 through 7 this week. Come with eagerness as we discuss that text next week. 
and a commentary by Pastor Bonhoeffer himself. Please stand for the reading of Christ's words in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under the foot by men. You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of these, least of these commandments, and teaches others to do the same, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Please join us next week as we learn about that righteousness that surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees.